Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Ali Haji, who's the CEO of Ion Energy, who are emerging leader in the exploration and development of Mongolia's lithium salars. They are well poised to play a strong role as the world embarks upon the third wave of clean energy revolution. The company has one of the largest exploration and first lithium brine licenses ever granted in Mongolia. Um, Ali has a computer science degree and international experience in asset management, risk analysis and program governance. Um, And he's here today to tell us a little bit more about the exciting project Ion Ion Energy has um, that they're working on in Mongolia. So that's welcome, Ali, to the podcast. How are you doing, Ali? Doing well, Rob. Thank you very much for being so accommodating and allowing me to do this from my vehicle. So uh, much appreciated. Yeah, no, as I mentioned before we came online, um, I haven't interviewed anyone in their car and the background is different. And to me, it looks absolutely fine as long as you're comfortable um, sitting in the car doing this. So um, if we're, if you're able to sort of give us an overview of your career, your background, uh, for those that for those that are listening that may not have heard of you before or don't know much about your background, appreciate you didn't give us a, an overview of uh, of your career to where you got to today. Of course, yeah. So um, we, you know, you mentioned briefly that I have a computer science degree. Absolutely correct. Um, I went to the University of Western Ontario in uh, uh, London, Ontario. Uh, received a, a degree in computer science and joined uh, Invesco, which is a global asset manager, as an IT asset management analyst. Um, I sort of. Uh, moved through various positions in the organization uh, to move on to the program management office, working on uh, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I was placed in Hong Kong to acquire AIG's real estate business, moved back to Toronto and worked on Morgan Stanley Van Campen's acquisition by Invesco, Uh, then worked on a number of different strategic uh, initiatives for the organization before being placed in London, England, uh, co-leading a center of excellence for investment operations. Um, I moved back to Canada about four years ago and joined Atma Capital Markets as an advisor to Step Gold, a uh, gold producer in Mongolia. Um, and my mining experience comes from my father. So he's been in mining since 1998 in Zambia. So I could you could say it runs in the blood. Um, around 2016, when I returned to Canada, I was in Mongolia advising Step Gold, as I mentioned, uh, when I co-founded Ion Energy in August uh, 2017. So that's a bit about my background, Rob. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, you mentioned your father's in mining. Does he work in a, a particular discipline um, or is he in sort of, sort of senior management? He's uh, yeah, C-suite. So uh, copper, go- copper uh, concentrate out of Zambia in the copper belt there. Um, he's been exporting that to China since uh, the, the mid-90s. So uh, uh, C-suite, owner of a mine, uh, two mines actually, and, and just shipping concentrate. Yeah. And do you sort of lean on him for any advice at all or any challenges that you may be facing? I do, but, uh, you know, copper and, and lithium are two different beasts. Um, and so he sort of lets me run independently. And I, I've built a very strong team of advisors uh, that, that have an experience in the lithium space. And, and so they guide me a fair bit as well. Yeah, no worries. Um, so just wondering if you can give us an overview of Ion Energy. 
Um, tell us, obviously, how the company started and progressed to where you are today. Of course. So uh, August 2017, I was in Mongolia um, advising Step on the acquisition from Sentera Gold uh, of their ATO project. Uh, my chairman, Matthew Wood, and I uh, sort of you know, sat in, in, in a boardroom and, and thought to ourselves, well, Mongolia is a vast country, a million and a half square kilometers, three and a half million people. Only 3% of it uh, has been explored. Uh, it was also sort of the tail end of the last lithium cycle uh, when when companies such as Namaska and others had gone public. Uh, we thought, you know, lithium was going to make a comeback as a result of uh, electric vehicle demand. And uh, Mongolia being uh, Ulaanbaatar, for instance, I, I'll send you a photo after this, Rob, but uh, more Priuses per capita than anywhere else in the world. So we thought to ourselves, uh, lithium's coming back. Let's look for lithium in country. There's bound to be lithium in country. And so we started to dig through the archives uh, at, the, at the Ministry of Mines. And we found that in the 1950s, uh, the Russian government, when Mongolia was a satellite nation of the USSR, uh, did some drilling around the border with uh, uh, China in Sukhbatar provinces. Uh, they managed to pull up uh, a brine aquifer. They were likely looking for potable water. Uh, chalked it down to, you can't drink this stuff, let's move on. 1990s, the Russians and Mongolians revisited that exact same site. They pulled up uh, this brine aquifer. They tested for a plethora of minerals, including lithium. But it wasn't until 2016 that a gentleman by the name of Dr. Hashbat Dastat Seren, who's now on my advisory board, uh, did some drilling and was able to extract and sample lithium brine. So he did some drilling in 2016. He found an average grade of 426 ppm, a maximum grade of 811 ppm, in two holes drilled 70 kilometers apart. So that prompted us to visit uh, the Ministry of Mines and ask them to put this license up for tender. Uh, they put it up for tender in 2018, and we were awarded the license in January of 2019. And that's Bob Ol, our flagship license. So 81,000 hectares, a massive land package, uh, the largest, in fact, ever granted to a public or private company uh, or entity by the government of Mongolia. It is in Sukhbatar province, located only 24 kilometers from the Chinese border. Uh, so since being awarded that license in January of 2019, at a time when you know cannabis uh, was very much the flavor of the month, uh, it was difficult for us to go public. Uh, but we did start to see that uh, electrification was growing in, in demand. Uh, vehicles were being purchased around the world uh, that, that were electric. A lot of new manufacturers started to come online. So we waited till about August 2020. Um, at uh, sort of uh, the the um, in the middle of the pandemic, if you will, uh, to 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 listen to what governments were doing as as COVID recovery funds, and we found that you know the European Union uh, with their 750 billion euro package uh, allocated uh, just over 20 billion euro to electrification and gigafactory subsidization. Uh, the UK did the billion pound. The Biden administration is earmarking $400 billion over the next four years for the same purpose. So that prompted us to, to, to go public before uh, sort of this um, uh, lithium or EV boom that we saw in the first quarter of, of 2021. Uh, we went public on Bavio being our flagship license uh, on the uh, Toronto Stock the Venture Exchange in, the Toronto, in Toronto. We raised uh, just over $2.7 million uh, that would keep us funded to explore our license. Uh, and uh, it's shortly after going public, we added to our advisory team. So we added, uh, you know, the likes of uh, Paul Fornansari, uh, which we can talk about in a bit more detail uh, later. But uh, we went public. We started exploration shortly after going public. Uh, and since then, we've done a fair bit of work. So, uh, you know, I'll pause there um, and let you sort of drive the conversation. But I think that there's there's a lot of exciting things to talk about. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, I'm wondering if you can obviously tell us some of the work that you that you're currently doing and what you're planning to do, um, probably to the uh, end of the year. Um, one of my last questions I always ask: What is the sort of um, short, medium-term out, uh, outlook? But yeah, if you can sort of tell us what you have just been doing more recently and uh, for to, to, I suppose, to the end of the year, and um, you can give us that overview. Of course. So, you know, on the back of receiving Baba Yol and starting exploration in October, uh, we did a geophysics and CSAMT program uh, that allowed us to determine sort of the uh, uh, where the, the aquifers exist within the stratigraphy. Um, so that that basically allowed us to design our exploration program. Uh, some of the guys that I've added to the team, you know, half my board is Mongolian. Um, I think that's important to note being a Mongolian company. We think it's important that you operate that way, irrespective of jurisdiction. Uh, but but some of the guys on my board include Paul Fornitsari, who were uh, who was the original chairman of Lithium Americas, uh, was a director at Neo Lithium, helped both those companies raise significant amounts of cash, uh, and is a partner at Faskin, where he leads the Latam Global Mining Group. So, you know, very much considered a pioneer in the lithium brine space for the Americas. Uh, beyond him, we added a gentleman by the name of Don Haynes. Don is a, a hydrogeologist. He's a lithium exploration geologist. He's done work for lithium all over the world. Um, and he really designs, oversees, and ensures the execution of our exploration program. So it is quite a, a focused uh, sort of approach to, to understanding where the lithium is. And then uh, Dr. Hashbat Dashtitsarin, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he's on my advisory team as well. He's our local scientist. He ensures that everything is, is completed to Dawn's specifications. And then very recently, I added Dr. David Deeks. Uh, he was the Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at uh, Lithium Americas. Prior to that, he was at Tesla, where he worked with senior leadership to put together uh, Gigafactory 1. So a lot of uh, really good experience driving our exploration program that kicked off in October last year. Uh, we were then forced to lock down in Mongolia in November. Uh, November was the first time Mongolia ever went into a lockdown since the pandemic. So that, you know, they managed it quite well until a foreign visitor brought in the virus and ultimately ended up uh, shutting down the country. But we didn't uh, sort of, you know, we, we brushed that off as, as an opportunity really to, to, to think and strategize and understand uh, how we can better utilize our funds on the ground to ensure that we're doing a good exploration program right off the bat. Obviously, being a junior miner, we don't have very deep pockets, so we need to be quite calculated with our exploration program. So on the back of that lockdown uh, in November, the, the teams are allowed to sort of get back out to, to site in and around May. But uh, during that hiatus, we spent a fair bit of time ensuring that we're designing a program that allows us to, to, to best spend our funds. But we also acquired a new license, so the Urgachnarin license, uh, 29,000 hectares in Dornot province, uh, in, uh, in Dorngovi province, I beg your pardon, uh, a province that is very infrastructure rich, uh, the geology of which very much mirrors what we have at Bavaiol. And uh, we also raised $5 million from a PI-led uh, bot deal uh, that was co-led by uh, Stiefel GMP. So that $5 million uh, along with our IPO funds keep us fully funded for the next uh, two years. Uh, we also have, in addition to that, access to $11.5 million in warrants. So we have no finance overhang as a company. Uh, we are fully funded. And when we were able to get back to site in May, 
uh, we started to drill using a diamond core rig. Uh, we, we managed to pull up core samples. We also managed to extract brine samples. Uh, we drilled uh, over 20 holes and uh, well over 800 meters uh, in, in, in uh, total drilling. Uh, the press release, I believe, was was put out yesterday. So for all our listeners, if you're keen, uh, July 15th was when the press release was uh, released. So that exploration program allowed us to extract enough brine uh, to, to have it sampled by SGS laboratories in Mongolia. They are ISO certified. Uh, they will be doing a lot of our work uh, as far as the assaying is concerned. Um, we expect to start to see results in the next, um, you know, sort of three to six weeks because of the backlogs from COVID. Uh, but uh, really keen that we were able to get this first phase, this this sort of uh, maiden exploration uh, program off the ground, completed with no hitches. And uh, now we await results uh, while we develop phase two of our exploration program on Babayol. Uh, but we will commence exploration on Urgach Naran, our secondary license, uh, in, in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds exciting uh, with what you've done so far, especially with your strong management team as well. Um, how important was it to build that strong backbone of a, of a, obviously advisors and your executive team? How important and how did you go about bringing those people on board? I think it's extremely important to have a strong uh, management team with proven uh, track record of success around the world. Uh, with my my team, you know, myself, I've had international asset management experience, uh, and I've generally been, uh, you know, an individual that that uh, that's assigned to things to fix them, or to you know roll up my sleeves and actually get things done. Um, and uh, the team that I assembled is very much. Uh, uh, you know, a similar team to what uh, the team is at Step Gold. Step Gold being a sister yet independent company um, in Mongolia, and uh, they've had a you know as as a team we've had over a hundred years of exploration and mining uh, successes around the world. So uh, we believe the team is extremely important, uh, but I couldn't be more proud of uh, my advisory team. I think uh, you know we we've hit the. Uh, I don't want to call it the jackpot, but I think we've checked every box uh, as a result of uh, having an individual like Paul, who's extremely strategic in nature, who is a you know a partner at a major mining law firm around the world. Uh, Don being a very technical individual, and then Dr. Hashbat being a local scientist, and David Deeks obviously being a, a Tesla alumni, uh, you know speaks a long uh, says a lot about him as an individual that's managed to to put together Gigafactory One. So. Um, with that team, we've been able to, to not only identify Ulgak Naran for acquisition, but also ensure that we're exploring uh, the right way the first time around. Uh, as I said, junior mining, uh, your pockets are not uh, very deep. So it's, it's, it's important that you don't, uh, you know, botch things up on your first go around. Um, so we're, we're happy with that team. And I think uh, as a company, uh, you know, you, you touched on what, what can uh, folks expect for the next uh, six to 12 months. Uh, we will continue to explore. Uh, Baba, you'll conduct uh, all our, our necessary exploration programs. We will also commence uh, exploration on Urgak Naran. Uh, we intend to have, uh, you know, an early resource indication in and around uh, this fall. That early resource indication would be derived by understanding the average grade of the brine in the ground and using the CSAMT uh, and micro seismic work that we've done before to get a volume. So when you have an average grade and a volume, you know, it, it's not 43-101 compliant, nor is it JORC compliant, uh, but you're able to get an early resource indication. And that, in our minds, will get the strategics quite interested in having a conversation with us. So towards the end of this year, we would expect that a strategic would come in for a toehold in the organization, whereby they would potentially take on 10% of the equity 
Uh, we would likely give them a board seat, and that's where we would add the necessary sort of development and, and production uh, expertise to our, our advisory team. Uh, that would also give that strategic a rofer, so a right of first refusal. Uh, with respect to acquiring the assets from us in the future or ultimately taking on a stronger position to bring it to development uh, in the coming uh, coming years as well. So the intention for ION is, is not to, to, to take uh, these brine cellars to production. That's never been our, our goal. Our goal has always been to understand the assets, to de-risk the assets, uh, get a foothold, and, uh, get a, a good grasp of, of the Mongolian lithium assets, and ultimately bring in a strategic uh, that would uh, either acquire the company in its entirety or uh, take on a, a major position in order to bring it to production in the future. Yeah. Um, we don't hear a lot about Mongolia, obviously the general capital markets or, or really the mining world. Um, so why Mongolia? What, what made you sort of focus on, on that country? Valid question. My, my chairman, Matthew Wood, uh, he's, a, he's a, a gold geologist. Uh, he's, he's an individual that's uh, a rare breed in, in the sense that he marries the, the, the technical side of the house along with the banking side of the house. So he understands capital markets, but he's also a fantastic geologist. So in 2009, uh, when he was living in Hong Kong, uh, he, he met his wife, Zaya, who is Mongolian. Uh, he ended up moving to Mongolia to look for gold, being a Rio Tinto gold scholar. He, he thought he'd look for gold in Mongolia. Ended up being in Mongolia during the last coal boom. Uh, so ultimately went back to Australia, to Sydney, raised $20 million in, in, in a vehicle without any assets. Uh, went back to Mongolia, acquired a number of coal-bearing assets, explored them, de-risked them, put together an early resource indication that was impossible for a major to ignore. So Banpool of Thailand, came in and acquired uh, Hunu Coal from, from Matt for half a billion dollars in an all-cash sale, 18 months from his Go Public transaction. So really big win for, um, uh, for Matt, for his shareholders, for Mongolia as a country at a time when they were putting a lot of negative press uh, on the back of uh, Oyu Tolgoy and uh, Rio Tinto. So uh, a big win for them there, but uh, Matt did things right. He had, you know, half his board was Mongolian, very similar to what we did with ION. When he exited uh, Hunu to Banpu, he had 300 staff, of which only two were expats. So when you're employing locals, you're paying taxes, you're, you're viewed very much as a Mongolian company, you can buy a lot of goodwill in country um, as, as a result. And so his experience with uh, Hunu allowed us to then acquire Step Gold from Sentara. Sentara had a project in, uh, in uh, Dornod province uh, by the name of Altan Saganovo. Uh, we acquired that as a group from them using a streaming agreement from Triple Flag Mining Finance, who's led by Sean Uzmar, the ex-CFO of Barrick Gold. It's uh, majority, majority owned by Paul Singer of the Elliott Group in New York. Uh, they gave us $23 million in 2016 to acquire this asset from Sintera. And then we were able to, to take it public in, in May of 2018. Uh, in and around the time that I was very focused on ION, and, and that became sort of my, my go-to. Um, uh, Anil, Matt, and uh, Bata, Enki, the individuals on my board were able to take that public in May 2018, uh, and they were able to bring it to production in 22 months. So, you know, to build up an operation in Mongolia within 22 months and pour first gold um, is quite an impressive feat. And once again, done at the height of the pandemic with a 100% Mongolian team. So Mongolia has the necessary skill set, the necessary labor, the necessary government support, uh, as well as... Um, you know, a proven uh, track record of, of mining and exploration. 20% uh, of the GDP is driven by mining. Uh, 
Uh, so it's a very great, uh, it's a very strong jurisdiction for mining. And uh, given the fact that only 3% of it has been explored, uh, we as a team are very focused on Mongolia and very long Mongolia as a, a friendly and uh, fantastic uh, mining jurisdiction. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, obviously, Mongolia is uh, relatively close to China, uh, well, next door sort of thing. Um, with the, obviously, electric vehicle um, boom and and obviously a lot of governments around the world looking to, to go more greener. Um, what have you done to sort of highlight uh, Ion Energy's uh, proposition in the Asia market? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. I think what we've seen in the last year has really uh, changed the outlook for battery metals. Um, you know, Simon Moore of uh, Benchmark Minerals, if you're familiar with him, uh, he, he's testified in front of the U.S. Senate Committee on a number of occasions until which time they made battery metals, uh, metals of strategic importance or national importance. So in the last few years, I think we've seen, you know, a vast amount of spending by governments around the world to, to increase the adoption rates for electric vehicles. Uh, everybody knows Tesla, that's a brand that's synonymous with electric vehicles, but uh, it's important to note that in uh, China, for instance, there's a company known as, as NIO, NIO, and China today buys three times as many EVs per capita than the rest of the world. Tesla is putting in gigafactories in China, which is fantastic for Tesla. But uh, if you look at the EV trends over the last uh, two to three quarters, Tesla's market share is reducing. So Volkswagen Group outsold the Tesla Group in the last two quarters. This is not something you hear about often, but you know Elon Musk being the personality that he is, uh, you, you tend to, to always think of EVs as being Tesla. So uh, to talk to your question, to answer your question as to the uh, geographical importance of where we're located, um, a lot of uh, lithium today comes from Latin America. So uh, Boliv uh, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. Um, and that's the, the brines that are in production around the world. Uh, you have hard rock in Australia. Uh, but governments around the world on the back of sort of the geopolitical risks that we're seeing today, um, have decided to, to find a localized supply chain uh, or a continental supply chain, as we call it, uh, for the various battery metals that are required. In the U.S., you have Thacker Pass, you have uh, some brines in Arkansas and Carolinas that are coming online to help serve uh, that market there. In uh, Europe, the European Battery Metals Alliance has now started to look at hard rock in Portugal and Serbia to service the Northvolt factories in Finland and Norway that ultimately feed into the Volkswagen and German uh, auto manufacturing behemoths. Uh, China today imports the vast majority of its lithium from either Australia or Latin America. Uh, there is no continental supply of lithium in Asia. Um, there are some brines in Qinghai in, in China that are, that are very high in impurities, and, and that generally ends up in you know um, toys that you buy on Amazon or walkie-talkies for the kids, that kind of thing. Uh, they're not going to end up in vehicles because they're very impure. So the world is now shifting to a continental supply chain. And given our proximity to China is, uh, you know, we're only 24 kilometers from the border uh, and we have some of the largest land packages in Mongolia that are lithium bearing. It's, uh, it's, it's inevitable in our view that, uh, you know, either the Chinese, the Taiwanese, the Koreans, the Japanese, all major battery manufacturers uh, would be looking to find that continental supply chain. So as ION starts to come online uh, to, to produce, uh, it, it is of our view that um, we would be uh, essentially creating that continental supply chain in Asia and uh, providing these major uh, battery producers and manufacturers with the necessary lithium uh, to drive the electrification and the mobility of the future. 
Okay, yeah, no, that that sounds that sounds great. Um, I understand the the global green revolution is a passion of yours. Um, I wonder if you can just tell us tell us more about that. Yeah, I think you know it's it's one that uh, we see as 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 inevitable, one that we think is necessary to ensure that we're protecting the future for the future generations. Um, electrification has has come leaps and bounds from where it was, you know. 12, 15 years ago when the first sort of EVs rolled onto the market. And uh, the range of which has improved significantly. So using an LFP battery, you can now drive a million miles before you have to uh, replace your battery. Uh, and we think ultimately being part of this clean green energy revolution, specifically in a country that's been uh, powered by fossil fuels for, for you know, since the industrial revolution, essentially, um, is, is, a, is a great way to, to help bring Mongolia to um, a cleaner, greener future, um, as well as the rest of the world. So we're very passionate about uh, uh, the green revolution. Uh, obviously, one of the largest wind farms in Asia is being built uh, not too far from Babayot. So the expectation uh, for, for when ION goes to production, we would hope is that we uh, leverage as much uh, renewable resources as possible uh, to, to bring things over the line. Okay. Um, what sets ION Energy apart from sort of other companies in that space? Um, and why should our listeners be paying attention to uh, Ion Energy um, over the coming months? I think Ion is 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 uniquely positioned in that it is the first mover in lithium brine in Mongolia. Uh, it's a country that us as a management team have had a significant amount of experience and success in. We're also located very close to the largest markets in the world. Um, and last but not least, our value proposition is that we are fully funded. We're fully financed for the next two years and do not require any equity raises. Uh, we will continue to de-risk and continue to trade at a significant discount to our peers. So um, I'd, I'd encourage listeners to visit our website, uh, take a look at our, our corporate presentation, uh, where we highlight a number of our different uh, comparisons and, and peers. Uh, there's some research reports available to listeners as well. Uh, that show you that we still have a long way to go to catch up to, to our valuation so that we are uh, in line with our peers. Yeah. Um, and lastly, just wondered if you can just conclude. Um, obviously, give us an overview of Ion Energy over the, the coming years, uh, maybe the short, medium, and sort of long term. I know you've covered a, covered a little bit about the short term, but just wondered if you can just uh, highlight um, part, just past, past into next year and over the coming coming years. Of course. So Ion's uh, you know, proposal today is that we're going to continue to explore our assets that we currently hold. So Babayol and Ulgak Naran. Uh, we will put out early resource indications on Babayol later this year. Uh, we expect to bring in a strategic investor in and around the end of this year for a toehold in the organization of about 10%. Uh, that capital injection at a higher valuation would allow us to not only acquire additional licenses in country over the next two years, uh, but also ensure that we are exploring them and getting closer to understanding development. Uh, the intent for ION and, and its management team is to, to provide an exit to our shareholders in 18 to 24 months, whereby we would either sell the vast majority of the company or the company as a whole uh, to a strategic to bring it to production in the Asian market. Okay. Ali, really appreciate your time and uh, give us an overview of uh, ION Energy. I can see it's a, it's got a great future ahead of you. You've got a strong management team. Um, strong advisors as well. Uh, the jurisdiction sounds sounds encouraging. Seems everyone everyone's on your side, um, and look forward to sort of seeing the journey and development of um, Ion Energy. If our audience wants to sort of reach out to you, wants to find out a little bit more about the company, 
Um, how can they go about doing that? Are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, absolutely. We're on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm one of those rare breeds that answers my phone at any time of the day. So my okay. phone also listed on the website, uh, along with uh, my contact details. Uh, feel free to get in touch um, uh, directly with me if, you, if, if anybody has any questions. Yeah, certainly. We'll include all those in the show notes with this podcast as well. So um, yeah, hopefully our audience will um, reach out to you if they've got any, got any questions. Um, really appreciate your time again. Um, for those that are listening, um, appreciate if you can share share this uh, podcast episode to friends, family, anyone around the world in the mining industry, um, especially those that are in lithium or even in the electric vehicle market or even in the electrification market, because um, it's certainly a, a company that uh, uh, you guys should sort of follow closely. And um, it's got a lot, a lot of um, development ahead of them, um, but I'm sure they're Sure, they're going to succeed with their strong management team. Those that are watching on the YouTube channel, appreciate, again, if you can share and like below. Um, if you've got any comments, obviously, you can comment below or um, obviously send Ali any uh, uh, emails or get in contact with him if you've got any questions. So, um, like I said, again, really appreciate your time, Ali. Um, until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.